All right, happy new year, Rocky Peak. Good, did Neil get you guys warmed up a little bit for this today? I think so. Uh, my name's Dave, I'm one of the pastors. If you're brand new to Rocky Peak, welcome. I know a lot of people traveled this time of year, so this could be your first weekend. And so what I wanna do is bring you up to speed on where we're at in this series. And before I do that, just encourage you, you have a program inside of it. You can pull out an outline, you can use it to follow along. Uh, draw pictures of me, whatever you want to do, but go ahead and pull that thing out. Um, as we kick in, this series is called Scent, and it's, the subtitle is Life on Mission. Great series, because what it is painting a picture of is that our lives are designed to be poured out, and it's a great time as we go through this to focus ourselves, and what a great time of year to do it. First weekend of 2016, right? Excited as we get to look ahead, and so we're going to use this, this uh, message today for all of us to be, in one sense, as a backdrop, what should our outlook be as we move into this new year, our mindset, our focus? The story we're going to read today is really powerful, and I think you're going to really enjoy it, and it's going to be a great backdrop for us to ask those questions. Um, what this series is, it's based on a book, and it's the book of Acts, one of the longest books in the New Testament, written by a doctor, really well-educated man, very thorough in his examination and recording of historical fact. And uh, his name was Luke. And Luke, he actually wrote, it's a two-volume set. The first volume was the Gospel of Luke. You know how there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote Luke, and that one chronicled the life, the death, resurrection of Jesus. And what you see is that lives were getting changed, transformed from the very beginning. And you see a movement beginning. I love how this book ends. Because the very end of it, Jesus says something. He says, and he's talking to his closest followers. He says, you are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. One of the other gospels records it says, and I will be with you always to the very end. What a great challenge, great promise. Then the, the book of Acts opens up. Acts is also known as the Acts of the Apostles. So the apostles, the early followers of Jesus, starting this movement. And you see them fulfilling what Jesus said they're going to do, that they're going to begin bringing this message to the ends of the earth. And it chronicles a 30-year time history. And over those 30 years, you see the movement exploding. It's beginning to take off. Thousands coming to Christ. And we've been reading through this story. It's an amazing, fast-moving pace of what is happening, a very accelerated time of growth in this early movement. And uh, recently, we just read about two of the leaders of that movement, and there was a story where they're going to the temple, and in the temple, there's this area known as Solomon's Colonnade. It's a huge complex, but they'd meet in this one portion, and crowds would gather, and they'd be teaching, teaching about Jesus and the resurrection, that he's still alive. And one day, as they're going to enter this temple, they see a man who'd been crippled from birth, and on the way in, they... They hear from the Lord and they heal. They pray and he gets healed in the name of Jesus. Well, this turned heads all over the place. Huge crowds begin to gather. So crowds are gathered in Solomon's colonnade in this big temple complex. And they keep saying, Jesus did this to him. He's still alive. He still moves in power. He is real and he's risen from the dead. He's paid the price of your sin. Now people are turning to Jesus. And they, they, uh, they hear the message and they're responding. Well, this turns heads especially in the, uh, the ruling council, religious council of the day, known as the Sanhedrin, a council of 70 members. And they were dead set against Jesus. They're the ones who tried him, crucified him. And now 
they're still in power, obviously. It's only weeks later. And this crowd is emerging, and now they're going to make a move. And they go out, they've arrested these guys. They said, in what authority do you do this? They said, in Jesus's authority. And uh, you see them, they get kind of beaten, they get sent off. And when they get released, they do something. They go back to those early followers, to their companions, and they huddle up. And what else they do is they turn to the Lord. They turn to their companions, they turn to the Lord, and they pray very simple but powerful prayer. We're going to look at that prayer briefly today, because today you're going to see the answer to it. Last week, you saw how they got together, and they walked in purity. They walked in deep unity together, and they were committed to that with one another, and there's a power in that. Well, today, if you have your outline, I want you to look where it says answered prayer, because we're going to turn there. What we're going to notice today in this section, there's two big themes that are going to go through this passage that we read. One of the themes is power. There's a big move of power that happens here. Well, there's a parallel theme, persecution. Power and persecution. When God's moving in power, there's always opposition. When there's opposition, God moves back in power. It is a major time of conflict as you're seeing it it beginning to come to a head again. It's like there's a new wind blowing and God's moving and there's a wind of persecution blowing, and it's, uh, and it's getting intense. And it's going to give us great insight for today as we look forward to this next year. So let's take a look at it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, on your outline, I listed this prayer out, and uh, it says this. So this is when they gathered and prayed after they got scolded, and they were basically giving a no-witnessing law. You can't talk about Jesus, you can't talk about the resurrection, and you certainly cannot do it in Solomon's colonnade out here in public on the Temple Mount. So they've been banned. So they huddled up and they prayed this prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So what are they praying for? God, give us courage. We don't want to shut up our mouths in this time. We want to speak out. So give us courage. Verse 30 says, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So their second prayer is this, God, would you keep moving in power? Jesus, you have all power. Would you move in power and do miracles that people would see your hand, see you moving, know you're real? Give us courage, move in power. Let's see the answer to that. This is where Acts 5, jump in uh, in your Bible look at Acts 5. We're going to start at verse 12. It says this, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the people, all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. What it's saying, you know, we saw Peter and John healing. That says all the apostles, they're healing now. So what's happening? God is answering this prayer. Miracles begin to happening. And where are they meeting? Right back in that place, Solomon's colonnade. That is bold. So you see boldness and power already beginning to emerge. Verse 13, no one else dared join them. That's likely a reference to non-believers. Curious what's happening, but they, they know there's tension politically. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So what's happening? This thing is growing. The movement's growing. As a result... 
people brought the sick into the streets. They laid them on beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Picture this in your mind. What a dramatic scene. They may not be willing to go to the Temple Mount, but man, they're going to line the streets of Jerusalem. They're going to get around that temple. If these aisles were streets, you just got a picture. There's sick people all through these aisles, people with illnesses, maybe lifelong ones. And there's people who are tormented emotionally, demonically, and they're lining them. They brought them from all, all, the, all these regions around, and they're lining the streets. And they hope that Peter's shadow would touch them as it passed by. Now, this is probably a reference. In the ancient culture, they actually believed somebody's shadow represented that person. Scripture never says they got healed when the shadow passed by. What you should catch is that these people were just so desperate for a touch of God. They're hearing these stories of what's taking place, and they're lining the streets. Well, it says this, verse 16, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. So even other towns, it's spreading geographically. They're bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And how many of them were healed? All of them were healed. That is, I mean, this is a major move of power that's happening. People are getting healed. Jesus is alive. This is real stuff. Luke continues his, his historical account and he goes on. Now, we're going to go into a new section here. You're seeing God move in power. What follows power? Persecution. This is Any Star Wars fans in here? Oh, yeah. Okay, we got some good Star Wars fans. This would be like, if you're watching the early series, this is like the Empire Strikes Back. They're coming in. They're, they're getting ticked off. Um, they're going to come back, and you're going to see opposition coming in. So let's take a look at this. Verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They hate the attention they're getting. They hate the message of Jesus. They hate the fact that people are getting healed. They're so dead set against it. They can't deny it. You have to understand, Sadducees don't even have a framework for it. They denied miracles, resurrection, life after death. So they're getting ticked off about what's happening. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles. They put them in the public jail. So what happens? They go out there, go to these, through these crowds, they arrest these apostles again. Now they're in jail. The empire just moved in. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Oh, that is so cool. How awesome is that? They're in jail. An angel appears and he's going to give them some instructions. Hey, guys, I'm here to break you out. Winks. You know, get ready. Now he's going to give them their marching orders. And he says this in verse 20, go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. So here's your marching orders. I'm breaking you out, and here's your one job. When morning comes, you stand right back out there, and you keep telling people about Jesus. Got it? Got it. Done. Let's see what happens. Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the, public, entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. That is bold. God's still answering that prayer, right? That's courage. And uh, then it goes on. Here comes the dark side. When the, when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. All right, 
If you weren't into it by now, you are now. Okay, we got you. Here they come. Got it? Here they come. It's getting tense. Well, so now they just gathered. This is the full Council of Seventy. The very group that tried, arrested, persecuted Jesus is now gathered, and they're going to address this movement. Well, they, they gather them, and uh, they sent to the jail for the apostles. This place is so big, they're sending people to jail. They don't even know they're out there preaching right now. They think they're locked up in this cell. Bummer for them. And so this is what happens. But on arriving to the, at the jail, the officers didn't find him there. So they went back and reported. They had to have their tail between their legs. Well, we found the jail securely locked. The guards are standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Sorry, what, they don't know what to do. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. They cannot even fathom this. You know, no guard would release them. It would be, their life would be on the line for that. So they're absolutely confused about what's going on. Verse 25, then someone came and said, look, the men that you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts. They're teaching the people. Now, they've got to be absolutely enraged and confused, all the above. This is where the Sith Lord would go crazy with his lightsaber, you know, getting all ticked off. Verse 26, at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. They could sense that the crowds have turned. There's there's such a move happening. Now they're afraid. They're afraid that if they come at this too hard, they themselves could be stoned by the people. Verse 27, the apostles were brought in and they were made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And the high priest says in verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They're denying that they're guilty of anything. And they're so angry, they keep teaching about Jesus. They're so incensed. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, underline this, highlight it. This is her response. We must obey God rather than human beings. Great line, isn't that? We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, when they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put him to death. Now you see how God's going to intervene again right here on behalf of these apostles. He's going to speak through another member of the Sanhedrin. This man is a Pharisee. Pharisees, unlike the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in life after death. They believed in resurrection. They believed that a Messiah would be coming. And this man was highly influential. And he's going to speak up, although he does not recognize and believe in Jesus. He is going to speak up, and God is going to speak through him what needs to be spoken in that moment. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. 
Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed. It all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and he led a band of people in revolt, and he too was killed. All his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. Highlight this. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Leave it alone. Leave it to God. If it's of God, you can't stop it. It's unstoppable. Unstoppable. He gives two examples how movements arise and fell apart because God wasn't in it. He says, put your hands off of it. Well, his speech persuaded them and they called the apostles in and they flogged them. So they tortured these guys. This is a torturous act. It would strip flesh off your back. So they flogged them. Then they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So again, they highlight there is a no witnessing law. You may not speak of Jesus. No more resurrection talk. You need to quit it, stop it, and then they torture them. They're going to get released. And in verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. I would never guess that this verb is the next verb that would be in there. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. What's the word? Rejoicing. Who does that? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped. They were unstoppable. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. What a story, right? That's an incredible story. It kicks against every box we have in our mind how, uh, how life normally happens. This is not an everyday occurrence that we're seeing, right? This is powerful. You see this immediate answer to prayer. In this story, you see God drawing people to himself, people coming to Christ in droves. You see people getting healed from physical ailments, demonic oppression. They're getting released, set free because Jesus is alive and real. You see an arrest warrant being set because people are talking about Jesus. They're thrown in jail. An angel releases them. Amazing. Then, they're, you know, then they get tortured, beaten, and told, you better knock it off. And what do they do? They don't stop. In fact, they're celebrating because they feel counted worthy that they could be tortured like that. How do you stop something like that? In fact, that's what people have seen. There's something that marks it. The world has never seen this kind of, this kind of move, this kind of response, it's been powerful. Well, as we look in this today, we're going to consider the two realities discussed. Power, there's a huge theme of power in this, right? And this huge theme of persecution. And we're going to, we're going to track it, we're going to follow, and we're going, to, we're going to analyze this. You're going to see how the movement has continued since it started. We're going to get a sense of insight that, you know, the very same thing that was proclaimed to the early apostles, the early followers, is the very same, same thing proclaimed to us, that you, me, we are his witnesses, and all of heaven is behind you. 
So let's take a look at this. Unstoppable, power and persecution. Let's look at the first theme. First theme is power. Here's your fill-in. The movement is still advancing. The movement is still advancing. If you've ever been to a baptism here, you've seen the stories, haven't you? When people encounter Jesus, there's, something, there's nothing more powerful in someone's life. It can melt you in the most beautiful way. It can take the hardest uh, exterior character and personality and soften them, and a new life begins. It's hard to watch those things and not cry when you see Jesus change a life. It's powerful. We've seen it. But you have to understand, this is happening all over the world. In fact, Jesus promised it would. He promised he'd always be with us. And he said that this would be an unstoppable force that goes around the world. His church will continue to grow. Matthew 16, 18, it's in your outline. Look at this promise Jesus gave to his followers. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock is the teaching that Jesus is Messiah, he's true king, and it's the teaching of the, which is laid on the foundation of all the apostles proclaiming it. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades itself, hell itself, will not stand against it will not overcome it, right? That's a bold promise. Don't ever give in to somebody when they're saying, you know, hey, the movement died off. I have a new teaching for you. You'll hear that in different spheres. That's where the Mormon church will teach it, and they have a new revelation of it. There's, I could go on. Many, many people will rise and say, oh, you know, it fell apart. Actually, there's no way it could. Matthew 16, 18, the words of Jesus, he promised that the gates of hell will never overcome it, and it hasn't. Um, This war, as you picture it, why does he reference Hades? Because there's a real demonic kingdom. It's dead set against God. There's a real heavenly kingdom, and these kingdoms are in full conflict. So what you get is all heaven is behind the move of God, that Jesus is alive well, will one day return to this earth. There is life in him, and all of hell is opposed to it. All of heaven is behind it. It is is a conflict of cosmic proportions, it's a huge thing. And as we take a look at it, God even spoke that truth through Gamaliel, someone who didn't even believe in Jesus. He said, if it is from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. It's unstoppable. Now we're gonna take a quick look at that movement. How's it done since its early inception about 2,000 years ago? How's it doing? Well, especially in the last 50 years, there's been an explosion in the growth of this movement of the followers of Jesus. Huge. May not realize it. Even in the Middle East. You know, people who um, have dedicated their lives to go and share Christ to those in the Middle East, very rare to see people turn, um, mostly a Muslim background, and turn to Jesus as true King and Messiah. They got one or two. That was a big deal, seeing people turn to the Lord. But now... In the hundreds, in the thousands, there, there's something unprecedented that's beginning to happen. There's, you can read reports about these things. There's stories of them meeting a man in white in their dreams. Jesus begins to meet them. One author and apologist, his name is Nabil Qureshi, he wrote a book, Seeking God and or Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. Devout Muslim who found the Lord. And he, what he describes 
is uh, the significance of dreams for Muslims. In a March interview with the Christian Post, he said this, in Islam, for example, people don't expect to have God talk back to them personally as the Holy Spirit isn't living in them. They ask God for guidance through dreams. That's like the one way that Muslims expect to hear from God. In fact, they have something. It's called Salat Iskatara, and it's a prayer they pray nightly until God would respond in a dream. Well, Jesus is moving. He's meeting people. And there's reports coming back, people turning to Christ. Recently read one about an ISIS fighter uh, doing brutal killings. He met Jesus, turned his life to Christ. It's like a modern-day Saul experience. It's very powerful. Our team, we have a team of college students from our church that are in Uganda right now. Yeah, we got some of our students over there, helped get them there. I know some of you guys supported that. We have reports coming back. They've been leading Muslims to Christ on this trip. It's happening. People are turning to Christ. It's very powerful. The growth is very real. And it's most, especially in an area known as the global south, Asia, um, Africa, South America, there is an explosion taking place of growth. Um, there was a, uh, I was recently reading an article by the late Chuck Colson, very prominent, powerful voice for rational Christianity, um, big influence. And uh, he was responding to another author um, who was making the claim that Christianity would eventually be overtaken by Islam um, through all these different reasons of growth and things. And I loved his response because he says, predictions like this betray an ignorance of the explosive growth of Christianity outside of the West. We don't see explosions of that in the West, but he says it's all around. In your outline, look at the quote that he, uh, that he has. He describes this growth. He says, for instance, in 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. But by 2000, there were 360 million. You catch in a 100-year span? By 2025, conservative estimates see that number rising to 633 million. The same estimates put the number of Christians in Latin America in 2025 at 640 million. And in Asia, at 460 million. Do you realize in 1910, a majority of Christ followers lived in Europe? Not so anymore. It's now a global Christianity. Look at this map. You're going to see where it's been breaking out all over the place. There's more believers outside of the West by far now, especially because of the last 50 years, last 100 years. In Africa, do you know one of the reasons our team is in Africa? They're staying at a leadership institute. Why is there a leadership institute that our church helped launch? Because churches are popping up so quickly, they need some people to help raise up pastors for this church. So it's growing. We see it in Uganda. There's churches in Africa, now catch this, of over 50,000 people. In Nigeria, in the Congo, in Kenya, huge churches. Churches of 20,000 are popping up. That's massive. There's a church in Sierra Leone, it's western portion of Africa, very poor nation, small country, mostly Muslim, but there's a move of God exploding there. In Sierra Leone, tens of thousands of believers are coming, or people are coming to Christ. Church is beginning to explode. 
uh, the French government, businesses from France wanted to participate. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to invest in that area because it's in such need of so many basic needs. They wanted to build two, they want to build two hospitals of beds of 5,000 people, two universities, schools, clinics, and they want to invest about $2.1 billion. They don't, like, they can't turn to the, the local government. They don't trust it. So where are they turning? To the one force that's having the most positive impact to believers. See it there in Africa. You see it in Latin America. A hundred years ago in Latin America, maybe a quarter million believers. Now, well, over 50 million. In Bogota, Colombia, reports come back on certain Saturday nights, crowds of 18,000 youths gather to worship and study scripture. Brazil, there are more believers in Brazil than all of Western Europe. It's exploding. El Salvador, I was there just this past year. The most violent, most people don't know this, the most violent country in the world. More so than the Middle East, but the number of crimes and murders that take place regularly. In San Salvador, there's a move of God. Church of 50,000. Our team had the opportunity to meet with a, with a leader of that move, of that church. But in these places of great darkness, there's, there's a move of God that's taking place, even through Latin America. You see it in Asia. Singapore sends out more missionaries per believer than anywhere else in the world. Mumbai, India, they have a church of 70,000. Thousands of missionaries are coming from India. Do you know that seven of the 10 largest churches in the world, do you know where they're at? North Korea. Oh, South Korea, sorry. Great correction. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. South Korea. But I can tell you this about the North. I can't even share the names. There are people in the North dedicated their lives to reach people. One person from this church. God's on the move. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's just really fun to see when God begins reaching people. I love how um, there's a recent article. Uh, it was in uh, Washington Post. They described the impact of Southern Christians, so Africa, like regions in Africa, Latin America, Asia, what they're having on Europe. And they're, they're talking about, they specifically highlighted Denmark. In Denmark, um, these believers have planted 150 churches in Denmark. That's amazing. You know, in Europe, you've got these amazing cathedrals. What's so sad is often they're, they're dead. The worshipers are dead inside. There's just no spiritual life. But God's bringing life back, and something's beginning to take place. There's something interesting that marks these believers. There's a passion. They have intimacy with God. Um, they have deep conviction. They hold firmly to the teachings of Scripture. In fact, it, they, they generally have a stronger belief in the authority of Scripture than most in the West. If you, in the West, we know that there's been a push, especially in many mainline denominations, that in order to stay culturally relevant, you need to compromise on the Word of God. That's why you'll have people like uh, Bishop John Shelby Spong who will stand out and say that we need to compromise on that. They'll question teachings on the resurrection, miracles, or moral stances that Scripture makes. 
I agree with what Chuck Colson says. It is precisely these historic beliefs that attract followers. So what we need to know here in the West, when there is a move to compromise and pull back and shy away, that we cannot compromise any of that. We will not compromise the message. That's not what we did. You know, that's why we, we spend time in Scripture every weekend here. It is our authority. It's our one thing that keeps us stable and focused. So just like the believers from the very beginning, they were not going to shy away from the message in spite of what's around it. In fact, in doing that, people are drawn to the truth of Jesus. They are. Something else that follows this move of God around the world is power. There's an amazing move of power that follows it. They, and here's, here's the thing. Listen to what uh, one distinguished professor who has been studying this move, Philip Jenkins, um, he gave a secret to what part of this explosive growth that's been taking place. And he said this, if you look in your outline, it's in there. It says, the heart of the matter is the critical idea that God intervenes daily in everyday life. What, he say, what he's basically saying, and he unpacks it, that part of the reason for this major explosive growth of the movement throughout these regions is people are praying. God is answering dramatically. People see that Jesus is real. Things are happening. And these believers are desperate. They cry out to God. God moves and people are coming to him left and right. He intervenes daily in life. And they're willing to ask God, come and intervene. We need you to move. And there's a desperation and a crying out, and God is moving and responding. Very powerful. And you're living at an amazing time of history. It's happening. You may not hear it reported a lot, but I'm telling you things are happening around the world. You are his witnesses. We are part of this. God's on the move. So what's the first big theme? There's a power theme, right? The kingdom, the movement is still advancing. The second one, here's your second fill-in. Persecution. The movement is still opposed. It's still opposed. Now, what's fascinating is we're reading through this book of Acts. We see that it's beginning to spread. Do you know one of the biggest reasons the movement of Jesus has spread so much? Persecution. It's like a dandelion. When you blow on a dandelion, it's going to go out there, and everywhere those little things land, it begins to seed new dandelions. This is kind of what happens in persecution. Believers have to scatter. And wherever they land, people have never encountered people like this. They're seeing God moving. They're seeing a different kind of people. They're hearing about Jesus. And the birth of the movement continues in new places. God uses that. Let me just say, when you read through Acts, what I love, the tension is so high because the stakes were so high. The movement looked so young. It was so fragile. It looked like it was so easy to stomp this movement out. And that's why you see all these authorities coming against it. And what you may not realize, but between A.D. 67 and A.D. 303, there was a wave of 10 specific persecutions against those early believers. And I'm telling you, they were brutal. Brutal. First one in A.D. 67, you have Nero. This guy was a true sociopath. Anybody who would not bow and recognize Caesar as Lord, uh, that's a death sentence. It's considered treason to the state. And believers would be killed in mass in brutal ways. They, when they'd kill people, they were doing it as a sign. You don't challenge the state. It should, it's like their billboard is another dead body. They would burn believers alive. They would sew them in skins of animals and throw them to be eaten by wild dogs. They would be uh, the, the most brutal deaths. They would be quartered. It's just, it was brutal things. And there was 10 waves of this. 
Another brutal one, Marcus Aurelius Antonius, another brutal guy, behead people, crush them. Um, it, it, was, it was nonstop, tossing them off high places. And it was very public when they would behead people. It was very common for them to display those all around the city because there's their billboard. You don't come against it. So the persecution was very intense. Um, and it seemed like that movement would be fragile. But Jesus' promise was true. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And it didn't. Even last year, in the last, I mean, last hundred years, reports are coming back that they say that more Christians have been killed since 1900 than all history before it combined. A lot of, lot of persecution still there. If you paid attention at all, you hear it in different places. There's been acts of genocide against people who are Christ followers, whether in different portions of the Middle East or Syria. Even in China, there's these house churches, and there was reports back, um, you got some, these were some years back, but they take bulldozers and take out the homes, kill the believers. What's fascinating when you see this persecution? Remember when I said, when there's persecution, what's the other theme that's through this story? There's power. Even in the face of persecution, what's fascinating is how people stand up and respond to this devastating persecution. You find it in the earliest believers. During this period of waves of persecution, the disciples lost their life. They all died, except John. And it wasn't without trying for John. They boiled him, you know, but he made it through somehow. But Andrew, but what I want you to catch is how they responded to these things. There's like Andrew, he got crucified. And uh, as you read the church history on this stuff, it took about two days for him to die. Crowds have gathered to watch him be crucified. What does Andrew do? Hey, I got a crowd. From the cross crucified, he preaches Jesus, his reality. And reports come back that people gave their life to Christ at the foot of Andrew's cross. You have things like Peter. Didn't even count himself worthy. I can't be crucified like Jesus. Put me upside down. There's something deep in their hearts that's unstoppable. You have people, one of my favorite is a guy named James, John's brother, this one, just, this one apostle. Um, so he got called for high treason, whatever, not to, bowing down to the Roman authorities. And he's before a Roman official. And as he's before the Roman official, the Roman official says, do you have any final words before you're beheaded? And he says, yes, yes, I do. And he begins to tell him about Jesus. He's so real. You got to know him. He laid his life down for you, for me, for all of us. He did it. He's, and he begins to testify of the power of God, the person of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection, and new life in him. And what happens? The Roman official surrenders his life to Christ and goes with him, with James, to get beheaded. How do you stop that? It's beautiful. People say, how do they endure persecution like that? How do you do it? And probably part of it would be, it's like, man, if, you, if one thing that is the most powerful force, more powerful than fear, is love. These men love Jesus. Uh, the God of the universe would lay his life down. They looked at him in, in the eyes. They knew him. That's why 1 John 1 starts out, man, we have seen it. We've touched him. He's real. How could we deny him? Love compels them. 
think there's another big secret for these guys. And many women, I have so many reports of women, an incredible testimony as they've been persecuted and killed. But what, it, what gives them this deep, resolute strength? For the early disciples, I can tell you another secret. Besides their love, um, Jesus prepared them for it. He said, you're going to experience mass persecution. You're going to be taken before Roman officials. You could read about it in Luke 21. But he says, this is going to happen to you. He even warned him, you better be ready to take up your cross daily. He prepared him for death. You, you want to know what gave them endurance and strength? They were already dead before they went there. They were resolved. What about us here in the States? We don't, this is out of a category. We don't understand physical persecution like this. This is outside of our category. We don't have a, even a, a way to even perceive or understand it. It's, it's outside of us. Um, in many ways, we suffer in some ways from lack of persecution. Um, a well-known author, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, has this discussion between, like, the, like a, um, he, he lays out basically a discussion of what the demonic would be having. It's a fictional account of what demonic would be just coming up with ways to overcome the people of God. And one of the accounts, he says, if you could just really make them forget about God, you've won. In the U.S., that's so easy for us to fall into. We're in a land of plenty. We have abundance. And you know what? We're distracted. We're so distracted. Look, we've got these. We can get lost for hours there, right? Well, it'll get us going for a long time, but we're a distracted people. We can also get a little prideful. We, have, we expect success. If you work hard, you can get it. And there's great, and we would really encourage that. The Lord honors that. Hey, work hard. Do that well. But we need to hear probably something what the children of Israel were warned by God before they went into the promised land. They were going to go into a time of plenty. And this is what he said to him: You may say to yourself, my power, it's in your outline, Deuteronomy 8, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So, What's our biggest challenge in many ways is we tend to forget we need God. And when we see success, we think it's all of our own doing. We could fall to that in ministry, whether it's a growth of a ministry or growth of a church or it can be in business, the success of your business or the financial growth. Just be humble. There's a blessing in it, but we can be distracted. But although we may be a distracted people, I can promise you this is you will face persecution. Um, it'll come in different ways. We've seen that there's a growing anti-Christian sentiment in the U.S. That's probably going to continue to grow. Uh, they even coined a new term, Christianophobia. But there's one group of people that you, it is allowed to make jokes about regularly to denigrate and portray false pictures of, and that would be believers, Christ followers. And that's an accepted thing within our culture. So that's not a physical thing against us, but it's a real cultural, the culture is turning against it. But it puts us on a great backdrop. Uh, doesn't compare to what other believers are facing around the world, but there's a real move there. But you've got to catch this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. It says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, look around. There's people sitting around you. When you begin to live a life for the Lord, a godly life, you're going to stand out in a secular world. 
and there's going to be persecution. It's going to come. Our persecution will not be physical, likely, but our persecution, you're going to feel it on an emotional level very deeply. And it'll probably come out in this way. The things we fear is being rejected by people around us that we love and respect that are not Christ followers. Being different in a community of people. That's a hard thing. And there's risk in it. There's two times I think we feel this most. Um, This risk of rejection. One of the times is this, whenever you share about Christ. Do you know that when you talk about Jesus, you can see it from the very beginning historical reports as reported by Dr. Luke, that whenever Jesus' name is brought up, man, there's going to be opposition. There always has been in some way. There's opposition. Um, But just on a personal level. You know, when I was younger, in middle school, high school, I'm telling you, I was beginning to get hungry for the Lord. I pursued the Lord. I really did. I wanted to know him. But I was pretty intimidated, Um, especially like talking about Jesus was such an intimidating thing. I remember coming to um, this church when I was very young, and I remember I'd be excited. I could invite people to church. That felt good. I could do that. I remember feeling guilty one day. I felt conviction from the Lord. Uh, It's that scripture, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And just realizing, I I have fear. I think I have fear of people um, about going beyond that. And I remember beginning to step out and begin to share stories. You know, we're witnesses. So at least I'll just tell stories about what I've seen or who God's done. Or Man, he changed this life. He did this. I had opportunity within my family. um, uh, Some grandparents did not know the Lord. A great aunt didn't know the Lord. I remember beginning to tell them stories about the Lord as a youth. One, let me read the Bible to her. Um, two of them came to Christ before they died. Not just, and I'm t- there's others involved in that. I don't, I'm not here to take credit for that. But what I'm saying is, there was something within me I began to step out. And you know, isn't that hard to do with your family? Can't that be awkward sometimes? Sometimes it's the hardest place. Remember, Jesus' words to you are true. You will be my witnesses. He wants you to do that. Um, one thing you'll notice as you start doing that, it will get easier. Just tell what you see. You don't have the, have the most elegant words. You don't have to have all the answers. Relax. You have to settle everything in one conversation. You're salting things. I remember prepping this message. I was sitting in a Starbucks, and this man sitting next to me going, just had some tragedies happen in his life. A brother of his facing death. So it was so great. I remember just being able to talk. We talked about Jesus. He allowed me to pray for him. Um, he He didn't turn to Christ or anything like that. But man, when he sees me, he comes right at me. He feels cared for. But listen, we're just to be witnesses. And I know there's risk when you begin to, to take it to the next level and talk about the person of Jesus. But you're his witnesses. You'll have persecution there, but listen, this is who we are. The other place, I think, where we will face persecution is when you make any kind of moral stance. Um, you know when it says, it, like in that scripture that's in your outline in Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life, 
Listen, if you don't want to have persecution, don't live a godly life. You won't have any persecution. You can be Christian by name only. It has no power, no authority. When you begin to make moral stances, um, and you don't have to be overt and yelling and you know, shouting at people, just your life alone will speak. It will. Um, let me just say this. We've got, um, I, well, I want to I draw your attention to a certain group of people. Think about middle school students, high school students. Some of you are in this room. I'm just, you just, everybody in here needs to know something. Students need a crowd of people who feel, where they feel totally loved and accepted. They need that. You know what? You know that's true because we need it. But for a student, it's so much more amplified at their young stage of life. And they need it. The pressure they are under is intense. It's really hard to walk with God. It's just tough. And there's going to be points where they can't make the same jokes as their friends. That's going to be hard. They're going to feel. That's what persecution feels like when their friends look at them like they're crazy. You know how hard that is to deal with? There's going to be points where they can't follow their friends any longer because their friends are going places they cannot go. And they're going to have to make choices to say, I can't go there. And maybe the only one not doing it. Let me just tell you, they need your support. Um, As a church, we would just tell them. I know a lot of people in this room, they work with youth. We just have to say, as a church, we stand with you. And what we'd say is, do not give in. You follow the Lord. And I can tell you, just being in ministry for a long time, I can tell you the students who have the greatest chance of walking with God for the rest of their life are students who can make that stand for Christ in middle school and high school. That foundation, I am telling you, is powerful. And I'm telling you, they need you. They need your support in it because they're in the thick of it. And it's not easy. And unfortunately, what I have seen is the persecution isn't usually from people who are just non-Christ followers. It's Christ followers by name who have given in and they're now giving in to the things that they know they can't participate in. And other believers would be challenging these believers. Come on, why you take it so seriously? Are you serious? You don't want to go with us to do this? You don't want to see this? And the pressure can get intense. But we want to just tell you here at this place, we want to surround you and support you. And we want you to stand, right? College students. Uh, no, we got college students in this room. We need you. We need you to stand. Our universities are a very difficult place. You're going to stand out very quickly. And you don't have to be overt. We're not looking for angry, yelling people out there. But we don't want you to be bashful either. Listen, those university campuses need you. They need to see what a godly person looks like. They need to see what Jesus looks like in real time and real space. You're a point of, you're the salt of the earth. You're there for a reason, and God needs you. I'm telling you, you won't make it unless you have friends that surround you who are committed to Christ and also committed to purity. So you gotta, we need you. We need you to stand, and we'll stand with you. Um, business owners or people in business in any way here. No, that's a lot of you in here. You know what it's like. You're going to be tempted to compromise financially. You'll be tempted In fact, you may be ordered to by those over you. If you fail to give in, you may be overlooked for your promotion or the security of your job all of a sudden is now in play. I I can tell you this. I know after hours, hey, let's go hang out. They're going to invite you to strip clubs. You're going to be offered to do these different things. I'm going to tell you, we need you to stand. 
Not because I'm telling you because you love Jesus you will stand. Because you know who you are. And it's one of those things, like your family needs you. They need you to stand. Not to give into it. Not to give into it. Your kids need your love and your commitment. They need to see someone who can walk with God in the face of that. And you will experience persecution in it. I understand. Uh, I worked vice for a period of time. Um, and in the police department, you're working vice. What are you dealing with? Vice issues, crimes, sex crimes, going into all these places. And in this unit I was working in, um, I was challenged and criticized. Um, they loved me, but man, did they love to attack and dig. I remember we'd go into the adult bookstores. We have to go into these adult bookstores and do uh, some crime enforcement. And uh, I remember when we'd come out, I looked at my one partner that I had, and he was such a great partner. We were both committed to walking righteously. And the first thing, we'd look at each other, say, where were your eyes? What were you looking at? What were you thinking about? Because we need it. We're all weak. But man, we, need, we just need to stand. And you will be ridiculed. You'll be criticized. And you're just going to stand out because you can't go with them certain places. You can't go in conversations in certain places. It's not appropriate. So you're going to stand out. I want to tell you one thing, though. What you're going to find as you do this is that people who will ridicule you, ridicule you the most when it comes to life for them and their life, the bottom falls out for them and they're looking for somebody to turn to, they're going to look for a man or woman of God and your phone is going to ring. I've had that many times over. Even somebody in that unit I was working. Remember one night he was staying late to work. He asked if I'd stay late with him. So we go out, and now we're out patrolling this one area, uh, undercover. But man, as we're driving in that car, he just looks at me, and he goes, I got to tell you. And he opens up about his life. He asks about Jesus. But isn't it interesting where people will turn when they're in need? Because they want to see somebody who really lives it. You're his witnesses. So power, persecution. So how do, we, how do we end with this? Well, what we're going to do, um, I'm going to give three things we're going to be praying for. We're going to take communion, and uh, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you three words really quickly, um, and this is the three things we're going to pray. So we're going to say, God, we want to be an unstoppable force. So number one, make me humble. God, make me humble. Humble enough to admit I need you. Humble enough to admit when we're wrong that we can admit to God that, man, we have strayed. I want to come back. God, I need you. I can't make it on life on my own. I know I've got all the success in whatever sphere of my life, but I need you, God. I don't want to be so vain to say that it's of my own doing. I need you, God. And we need to be humble enough to admit that we're not above persecution. God, I'm open to whatever you need. I'll follow you in spite of whatever comes. That's humility. God, make me humble. So the second word I want you to write down is this, God, make me fearless. God, make me fearless. Just like the early disciples prayed. In Acts 5.29, remember what Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. And we will not be burned at the stake likely in here, but you'll be criticized, rejected, ridiculed. And you know what's the hardest for me is false testimony when people lie about you to attack you. That man is that so hard to deal with. You can't, you can't put that back in a bottle. Listen. The Lord's in it. 
Got to give him space. Our biggest fear is being different. Well, listen, the minute you said yes to Jesus, you know the, the terms that the Bible uses to describe you? The moment you're a Christ follower, the first one is alien. You're now an alien. Awesome. You're a stranger. You're a stranger in this world. You're a pilgrim. You're a foreigner in a strange land. But you're in this land for a reason. You're the salt of the earth. The power of God is behind you, and you're his witnesses. You know, what, what would you do if you had no fear? For Jesus, he prepared his disciples, as I mentioned earlier, that they would die. The uh, Royal Air Force psychologist did an analysis to say which pilots would live and die, and what, is there any common themes we could find? And what they found is that 98% of the pilots who survived in combat, where one common denominator is 98% of them all resolved that they would die, which gave them a fearlessness. The tentative people ended up getting killed. That says something to us, right? So Jesus warned, you're going to be persecuted. So listen, open up your arms, say, God, I'll follow you in spite of whatever. If it's my reputation, something in my job, I'll follow you, and you're going to, you're going to follow him in spite of. God is not off the throne because something bad happened. There's persecution, right? God, give me, make me humble. God, make me fearless. And the third one is God, make me forgiving. You know why this is on there? Because persecution brings pain. Unresolved pain is going to destroy your life. The people of God have always been a forgiving people. They always have been. You can't go through life carrying these burdens anymore. When people persecute you, you got to be willing to forgive that. doesn't mean you ultimately trust them, but you will forgive them. Forgiveness is more than lip service, more than saying, I forgive you. You want to know what it looks like? Scripture describes it like this. When you forgive somebody, you bless them. Can you bless them? In your, can you pray a blessing over them? God bless them. I pray their success, that they would walk with you, they know you, that you, the things their hands touches, you would prosper that. Make it grow, Lord. Ooh, that's a hard prayer. Isn't that hard? but you'll bless them. Even in life, can you bless them in life? It also looks like not taking your own revenge. In Romans, it says, don't take revenge, leave room for God. He'll deal with the wrath. He'll deal with the fallout. Isn't that hard? Don't you love to want to take control when you're slighted? When your name is defamed? Don't you want to take control? God says, stop it. Leave room for God. You can't chase that all down. Trust him with it. Ooh, that's hard. So as we end today, we're going to go to the tables. What I want to encourage you to do as we get ready to do this, if you're holding things back, you have compromised, this is your time to say that you're laying that aside. And especially if you've been living in here with grudges for 10 years, 20 years against people, and you openly talk about, let me just speak to you parents for one second. If you're parents and you openly have these grudges and you talk about this in your families, you are defiling your children. You're, they will carry this with them in their life. They will carry that same judgment. So listen, for all of us, when we come to these tables, let's, don't defile the table. You come and say, God, I'm, not, I'm willing to lay it all down. I'm gonna, I'm, you're just going to say, man, whatever this is, as painful as this is, When we forgive, you don't have to feel like it. It is an act of volition of the will. It is a choice. So you're saying, in spite of how I feel, I lay it down, and now I can come to the table.
And at that very moment, you reopen up the grace of God in your life and the power of God. So stand with me. All right, let's, let's turn to the Lord. Let's bow your heads for a moment, and I'm going to direct your thoughts. And Here's what I want you to do is, uh, as you lay everything aside. This is the time for the Lord to meet you. And what I want your mind to turn to right now is I want your mind to turn to Jesus. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you just, I want you to imagine the Lord standing in front of you. Imagine Jesus. Now it's just you and him. I want you to see the love in his eyes, and I want you to hear the power of his words that he's going to speak to you. Just like he spoke to the very early disciples. And he's looking at you, and he says, you will be my witness. You're going to be my witness. And he gives you a promise. I'll be with you. Always. So let that strengthen you. So as you go to this table, you ask Jesus to search your heart. He's real. He's moving in power. So open the power of God in your life by surrendering whatever he called you to surrender. And if you've held grudges for 10, 20, 30 years, you lay them down. And then go to the table. So God, would you meet them and me? All of us, God, we're all in this together. Would you meet us, move powerfully, search us, try us, that we can be a bold witness as they were 2,000 years ago. So grace us with your presence. Thank you for coming, for dying, for rising, and offering new life. So we want to come in humility, just like you laid your life down in humility. And we pray it in Jesus' name. All right, you're free to go to the table, front, side. A couple quick things. You need to pray with somebody. You know, we're crazy enough to believe that God loves to intervene. He loves to still meet in real time and real space. So bring your need to the Lord. We have people who are willing to pray for you to my right, your left. So stop by over there. If there's an issue of forgiveness or something else, you just need prayer for something specific. Let them pray for you. Let's see what God does. Um, Michael will be back next week. He'll be doing another message uh, in Luke. Then we'll be kicking... A new series off the week after that, but we invite you to come out for those. They're going to be powerful. And as I close, I just want to say one thing. You know, we have been called to be an unstoppable force. We are the people of God. You're called to be his witnesses. All of heaven will be behind you. And um, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of parents in here and fathers specifically. I'm going to speak to you just for a moment. If you're a father, um, you may have been challenged in the message. And you may have been allowing a culture in your home that's not even godly. You know, part of this is, is you're saying, you know, we're going to start this year fresh. We're going to move ahead. You may need to go to your family and just confess that you've abdicated your role. And you want to start fresh in deep humility. And you just own it with your family. Maybe both parents need to do that. But you just start fresh. And I'm telling you, the power and the grace of God will flow. You are his witnesses. And I'll give you this scripture, Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So may God strengthen you, keep you safe, and embolden you to live boldly for him in 2016. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.